All right. This is Dark Days Radio, episode number 76. I'm one of your hosts, Mike, and tonight I am joined by a hero of the Outback, a man and a myth that has not been on the show in way too long, Peter Mars. How's it going, Pete? I'm well. Yourself? I'm doing great. I'm doing great. It's been a while. We haven't been on a podcast together since uh, Midnight Express about like 18 months ago. It was about that. And I think I think before that I was on a darker day is, oh God, I want to say maybe three years ago now. Yeah, it's been way too long, way too long. But uh, we keep in contact all the time. You're uh, in our cool little host chat and uh, we're talking all the time. But it's good to have you here on the show. It's great to be here. So tonight, uh, we're going to be talking about uh, World of Darkness video games. Should be an interesting discussion. And before we get into that, just want to talk about our, uh, our gaming lives, Pete. What, what have you been doing down there in Australia? Anything good? I've had a lot of life events go on. So I, I got married a couple of months ago, and that was a hoot. Mm-hmm. Yep. Um, Congratulations. Thanks, thanks. Uh, what, what has been sort of eluding me a little bit has been actually getting any decent RPG time in. My New Year's resolution for 2017 was to finally get Vampire Requiem 2nd Edition up and running again, and I I intend to have that going in the next couple of uh, months. Um, Aside from that, though, I have been playing a tremendous amount of X-Wing. Oh, yeah. That one? Very popular. Very popular around here. It it ticks all the boxes. It's, it's It's an IP everybody loves. It's Star Wars. The miniatures that come out of the box are beautiful. And if you want to make them even better looking, all you need is a little bit of blackwash and off you go. And the rule system is quick, mate. We can we can get in a decent what, what a decent hundred point game took me and my friend two hours and it was resolved. And then we said located and we're scratching our heads going, Wow, if if we were playing anything else, we would have gotten through we would have gotten through the allocated four hours that we had and had barely finished. And they were like, Oh, what do you want to do? Mm-hmm. Let's go again. <laughs> and so we got two games in it. It was just nice. spectacular. It's 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 absolutely brilliant. It's it's blowing up huge down in Australia. You can pretty much find organized play every night of the week. Whoa. There's there's always you know, if you happen to drive a little bit, there's always somewhere to play in in, in uh, Greater Melbourne. Excellent, excellent. Yeah, uh, X Wing is uh, definitely very big, and it's I believe based off of the rule set for Wings of War, which was an old like World War One kind of dogfighting game so uh definitely it's been a, a rule system that's been around for a while and has definitely been refined into what we have today yeah it's um i think it's uh, there's there's a couple of variants flying around I, I know they've they've done one for star um to star trek and i know that uh wizards of the coast tried their hand with one which was uh dragons and things but apparently that one didn't kick off quite so well mm, yep yep the uh Dungeons and dragons like Attack Wing or Dragon Wing? I think it's Attack Wing. I think they called it Attack Wing. I think the original game was called Attack Wing. So uh, the second one's called Star Trek Attack Wing. And um, yeah, the other one's called, I think, D&D Attack Wing. Or Wizard, or it might, it might be Dragon or something. I need to Google it. Mm-hmm. Yeah, cool. So, uh, what have, yeah, let's talk. Uh, oh, yeah, what have I been doing? What have you been right, doing, right, Game right. Mind, bro? <laughs> I was about to jump into the episode. Uh, what have I been doing? Dungeons & Dragons 5th Edition. Attack awesome. on Giant campaign. Uh, it's been going pretty good. It's kind of a procedurally generated uh, hex crawl, so it's a lot of randomization, and occasionally they get to, uh, I kind of call it like an instance dungeon or like a story dungeon, but uh, sprinkled throughout the world are randomly placed dungeons, which kind of forward the story of like what's going on in this world. Why did giants come down from the mountains and eat everyone except for the people in this one city? 
it's it's very heavily uh, based off of Attack on Titan, uh, which is a pretty popular anime, and it's been going great. Cool, man. That's awesome. So this is an online game, or this is something um, you're playing, you know, um, around a tabletop with your friends? Yeah, this is a tabletop game. Uh, it's going pretty great, oh. and the the players were almost eaten by a grell last session, so that was pretty fun. <laughs> Love it. All right, so let's uh, let's kind of hop into the news and get this episode started. So. So first off, uh, one of our listeners here on the show, uh, Xander, who you may remember from our excellent uh, Darkling episode where we played World of Darkness uh, G-Word. Am am I allowed to say... uh, Am I allowed to say the G word on the air now? I'm not sure. Um, oh, that one. And, yeah, yeah, exactly. Do we have the explicit tag on? Uh, we do not. Oh. We do not. So I'm not sure if I can, because uh, we do have European listeners. But anyway, back, back a couple years, we ran, we ran uh, a World of Darkness game, uh, which Xander was on. So you may be familiar with him here on the show. And he actually let us know about a prequel thing that he did, which was... Uh, he helped localize a cool Japanese game called Rosencruz Stilette. And they started off, him and his group, just kind of like doing it unofficially, you know, kind of like a fan sub, basically. Uh, but then the developer noticed and said, hey, why don't we just hire these guys? So that's a pretty cool game, which is out now on uh, Steam and some other platforms. And if you like kind of like uh, platformers, uh, action RPGs, that sort of thing, it's definitely something to check out uh, that was done by one of our listeners. So... That is Rosencruz Stilette, and uh, we'll include a link in the show notes. I'll look for it. So, continuing in that vein, uh, we have some news uh, for the World of Darkness, uh, which is very focused on video games. So, first up, Werewolf the Apocalypse is going to finally get a video game. Uh, it was just announced that it's going to be developed by Cyanide and published by Focus Home Interactive. Those two uh, companies are well known for putting out the Blood Bowl video games uh, not too long ago. And uh, they're pretty cool uh, French studio. So we uh, don't have a whole lot of information because the development of this was announced basically the day that it was signed. Uh, so we uh, don't have a whole lot of information on what the actual gameplay is going to be. Most of it's just like postulation at the moment. But uh, that is uh, something that's going to be coming out in 2018, it seems. All right, look, looking forward to it. Was that now? Yeah, uh, Mike was Mike was serious when he said, "I think they literally announced it, and then like the next day said we're going to start working on it." So did they? Did they even specify whether or not it's going to be an RPG or some kind of sort of shooter or anything along those lines? Or we still have no idea. The postulation by uh, White Wolf Publishing, uh, specifically Martin uh, Elrickson was that it would probably be a third-person action RPG. But at the moment, nothing's really set in stone. Okay. I suppose that could be good. We will see what happens. Yeah, so we'll talk about uh, some other uh, World of Darkness video games later, but just as a quick FYI, there was a planned uh, Werewolf the Apocalypse game back in the late 90s, early 2000s, called The Heart of Gaia, and that was going to be a third-person action RPG, so there was already kind of a precedent for that. I, I remember looking forward to it, and I, I forget I forget why it never happened. I think they just ran out of money. Could have been. I'm, That's I'm, usually I'm, what happens. I remember it was being developed by a gentleman called Lucian Solban, who kind of has 
the coolest World of Darkness name ever. Um, I know that, yeah, he, he worked mm-hmm. on a bunch of titles, I think primarily for Demon the Fallen, and uh, it's actually gone on to bigger and better things. I think he's. Um, I think he was one of the primary uh, designers slash writers behind uh, Far Cry 4, I believe. And Far Cry 3, Blood Dragon. Thanks so much. Your favorite game. <laughs> that was so uh, cheesy. Great. So other uh, other White Wolf news and World of Darkness news are that uh, two new apps have been released, those being Vampire Prelude and Mage the Ascension Refuge. Uh, they were developed by White Wolf and published by Asmodee Digital. And we're going to be reviewing those later on in the show, but there's a lot of controversy around them, specifically the uh, Vampire Prelude. I think it would be best to just kind of come out here, and probably even before we really talk about the, the controversy, one of the, the things that's going to be occurring with me on a, on a personal level, and I know this is uh, quite similar for a bunch of uh, hosts on uh, Darker Days Radio here, is that uh, we're actually going to be uh, boycotting uh, White Wolf Publishing, specifically because we have seen uh, what the uh, uh, writer uh, in question uh, who is uh, surrounding this controversy uh, does to other people, and quite frankly, we don't support abuse and harassment of any sort. And I feel that the uh, best way uh, for me to kind of show my zero tolerance to that is to stop giving White Wolf Publishing money. Now, of course... What does this mean for darker days? You know, we still have to discuss a lot of this, uh, come to a kind of general consensus. But at the moment, I don't feel that we, uh, as the show, as the podcast, are uh, going to be taking an official stance itself. Uh, we will still be talking about the world of darkness and Chronicles of Darkness, reporting on news and, um, you know, just uh, generally, uh, you know, trying to give people insight, share our opinions and being critical uh, about the uh, World of Darkness products coming out. But on a personal level, I just morally cannot give them money. So I'm inclined to agree. Um, it's, it's a tricky one because, okay, look, I'm of the opinion that Onyx Path, um, they're in a very, very tough spot in that they've been great shepherds Mm-hmm. of uh, the world of darkness and now the Chronicles of Darkness, you know, sort of during its trans, you know, during during the CCP era and now the era that White Wolf Publishing, you know, as its own as its own entity within Paradox. They've put out some brilliant, brilliant work. Uh, and, you know, now that White Wolf Publishing has become its own entity, over the last... How's, how long has it been since since that happened? I think it's now a it's maybe a year, maybe eighteen months. Eighteen months, yeah. Look, they've there's been they've taken some steps that you know neither of us are, are really big fans on. Mike hasn't stated it yet. Uh, I'm going to state it. So yeah, so White Wolf have gone out sure. and hired this particular individual. Uh, he calls himself. He goes by a couple of names. His name is Zach Smith. He calls himself Zach Sabbath or Zach S when he's doing RPG stuff. And, yeah, uh, he's not a particularly nice person. He's uh, been abusive, and he's been abusive to a bunch of Onyx Path uh, freelancers, people who work for them, and I've actually been on the brunt of a little bit of it. And it's almost like, why would you hire this guy? Um, And that's sort of, you know, not the least thing that they've done. They've, They've done a few things since they've picked up the brand, um, it's almost every you know every time that they speak publicly, 
they kind of put their foots in their mouths. So I think the very, very first thing that they did when they got Lend was license it for online gambling. Um, I know that they republished, what was it, Dark Desires? Dark Destiny, yeah. Oh, Dark Destiny, I'm sorry, which, which, was, which was, an old, um, it was an old anthology of short stories. And, yeah, that's okay, but that anthology was... Sorry, I've lost the name of, who, of the gentleman. That anthology was edited by a particular gentleman who's a convicted multiple pedophile, and by republishing it, got another royalty check. So... Yeah, wow. And sort of now we've got this. And I'll, I'll also say that, look, if you give them the benefit of the doubt, but, you know, and they said, well, you know, we hired this guy. And then they put out a couple of blog posts saying we looked at all the evidence and the evidence said, you know, there's no abuse happened here. Okay. And then they put out another blog post that said, well, you know, he promised not to act that way anymore. And it's like, well, hang on a minute. I thought you said he didn't act that way. So um, there's, yeah, there's, there's some real mismanagement, in my opinion, going on here. And it's almost like going forward, if, if they're going to be, if they're going to put sort of being edgy and being hip and pushing boundaries in front of, you know, you know, making sure that everyone is safe and in front of, you know, making sure that everything's inclusive and, and, you know, not, and things aren't abusive, then, yeah, that's, that's a direction that I'm, that I'm willing to go with them on. And I'll, I'll probably be joining you in the boycott. Um, now, Mike, you're, you're, you and Chris are still heading off to, to Wad Berlin in a few weeks time, aren't you? Yeah, correct. That's going to be in about uh, two and a half months. Yep. 10 weeks. <laughs> anyway. Yeah. So that's, <laughs> you think, you think, I don't know, do you think, you think that will, you know, how that goes, because I think I think you'll end up being at a convention with most of White Wolf. You'll be at a convention with a bunch of the OPP uh, staffers, including Rich Thomas himself. I think I think that will probably be, you know, a pretty big event deciding, you know, on on the future of Darker Days and 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 your involvement in it and and your involvement with uh, with White Wolf going forward. Would Would you agree? Yeah, that's definitely correct, Pete. Specifically, uh, you know, Chris and I have talked about this quite a bit. We were first off uh, invited by the convention organizers, not by uh, you know White Wolf Publishing themselves, and they really kind of wanted us there as a uh, sort of a independent view, just kind of reporting on it and you know giving our our feel on the convention itself. So that's kind of still the capacity that we're going to be going in, and uh, you know we intend to definitely interview some people. You know, hopefully Rich Thomas, uh, Matt McElroy will be there. A couple of the people that are uh, organizing some of the some of the LARP sessions and uh, speaking on it. You know, maybe even uh, Mark Ryan Hagen because he's going to be there. That'd be uh, kind of interesting to wow, uh, the to great talk doc himself. Yeah, yeah. So we'll definitely be uh, be talking to people. Um, I I don't know exactly how things are going to turn out with with White Wolf. Uh, it would be interesting to speak to them. Um, you know, kind of a independent fashion, um, but we we haven't really booked anything. And you know, I think the important thing to to kind of notice here is that you know, we're we're in this kind of weird position where somehow um, Chris and I just you know two uh, all of us you know Chris Chig. Matt and yourself are in this situation where we've like gone from just being fans of a you know nerdy RPG property to having to like worry about journalistic ethics and uh, you know kind of figuring out you know our our uh, how to step through this both morally and ethically. 
it's it's going to be kind of interesting. Uh, you know, it'll be a kind of iterative process, and we'll have to uh, you know kind of keep listeners appraised as we go. But I think it's important, definitely, to just kind of you know speak out about these things, be critical, and just kind of explain what the issues are, uh, so that hopefully they will not be repeated again. You know, the unfortunate thing is that we've we've for the past eighteen months kind of given White Wolf Publishing the benefit of the doubt in a lot of ways. You know, we've tried to point out some of the issues with, uh, you know, actions they've taken. Um, for example, especially where I live right now, uh, gambling is a very hot topic and something that I really can't support because uh, there's going to be, due to silliness of the uh, local state government, new casinos are just going to be opening up and people are really trying to uh, stop that from happening. And just some of the uh, statements they've made in online articles have been, you know, very incredulous on one end, insulting on another. And and we've spoken about that on the show. You know, we've actually, you know, dug through some of those articles and um, some of the uh, the interviews they've given and kind of pointed out, like, in our own opinion, like, hey, this is how White Wolf could do this better, how they could communicate better. And that really just hasn't been happening. You know, there's really been a pattern, uh, which has kind of brought us to this point. You know, it's kind of boiled over uh, in our, in my opinion, because I don't want to, you know, speak for everyone here on the show. But I think we're all generally in agreement. You know, we'll kind of provide some more information. Uh, I sent an email to White Wolf Publishing uh, stating that I would be boycotting them. Uh, sent it over to their general email. And I kind of just set out that I would end this boycott if they either removed Zach from their writing stable or if he publicly apologized to, you know, all of his victims. That's it. You know, I've, I've, I've set out, you know, I think a very uh, achievable ultimatum, if you will. But it's something that could definitely be done. You know, especially when you have White Wolf stating that, oh, Zach won't do this again. You know, we've, we've asked him. He himself needs to be stating this and apologizing to uh, his victims with some specificity. But I don't have very high hopes that he'd actually do that. Well, the argument can be made that not long after that, because he's he's put out yet another blog post explain, you know, explaining that what he does is an abuse and that, you know, by pointing out all these people's foibles, you know, or what, what he sees as failings, he's making the world a better place. He's, he's improving the RPG community. Um, so okay, great. So yeah, I, I I don't see that forthcoming. I don't see any kind of apology or even if even if I don't know. I'm almost like even if even if you don't necessarily agree, you know, 100 agree. I'm like an apology ends it, and if you just end it and then don't bring it up again, or if, if that's if, even if that makes sense, you know, because he's because right, one of the things, for example, is. He's he's brought up this he, he went out of his way and wrote this very long blog post about why one of the White Wolf freelancers David Hill is is essentially full of it because he doesn't like Star Wars and you know apparently mm-hmm. David hadn't seen Star Wars and apparently you know how could you say you don't like something because you haven't seen it and he wrote this big long blog post about it and he still maintains that by pointing out that out that about David he's making the RPG community a better place and it's like okay how about you just don't talk to him and don't talk about it ever again. That seems really bloody simple to me. You move on. But no. And the important thing to also point out, yeah. you know, you can be critical of someone and their views, but what the pattern that occurs with this individual is that he will make these posts, he will 
target these people, and then within the hour, they start getting these these hateful emails from anonymous accounts. Um, you know, David Hill has had his children threatened after after specifically that uh, that yeah. Star Wars post. There's there's horrible things going on, and it needs to be pointed out. And this this has happened with with multiple individuals. Some have just been driven off the internet. Uh, Neubli Mikan, and it's nothing that we can support. Yeah. No, no, absolutely. Free. And it's I don't know. As I said, we're we're in this weird position where, right? I'm of the opinion that what Onyx Path are doing is some of the best you know, is some of the best RPG work that's out there right now. I think I think Vampire the Requiem Second Edition is probably the best edition. You know, I I hold it higher than Masquerade. I genuinely think it's the superior game. Mm-hmm. And to me it's it's sad that it's tricky to get a hold of in that, you know, you have to be on drive through RPG, buy a POD. It's not in stores, because quite frankly I think it deserves to be. And, you know, yeah. everything that they've done, you know, well, everything that, that they've done since then, you know, because as I said, you know, we try to be independent and we really didn't like Beast and we said so. As you know, I'd, I'd, yeah, I'd, yeah, I'd, yeah, I wouldn't sure. have gone as hardcore as you guys. I, I just sort of shrugged and went, oh, they can all be zingers. But as a, at, a, at a general level of quality, what Onyx Path are putting out is an evolution and streets ahead of where the, of the content that the company was putting out in the 1990s. I just think it gets the recognition that it deserves. Yeah, absolutely. And I'd, I'd love to be in a position, you know, and, and this is sort of why, why I do the podcast with, you know, I'm on you guys very occasionally and I'm, I'm on it more, more often with Adrian because, you know, I think it deserves that recognition. And, you know, this is sort of you know, my, my way of, of getting the word out a bit more. And they said, but you see, going forward, it's it's probably not going to get that recognition. It's probably still going to remain, you know, this online POD only because you know the new White Wolf have their own sort of spin on it, and, and they want to they want to resurrect the the old world of darkness and kind of you know spin that out into you know push the meta plot or you know make it new and relevant for for you know twenty twenty and. Cool, more power to them. But it just the more we see of it, the more it looks like it's going to be pushing. As I said, you know, it's it's going to be pushing. Let's make it edgy. Let's make it, you know, screwed up. Let's make it dangerous. You know, there's we've sort of, you know, there's, there's the derisive term that's been that's been around has been we're calling it. You know, it looks like you know this is the rise of the edge lord. This is the rise of you know is are they going to be putting in things? That you know, because because they're they're creepy. You know, is, you know, are we going to see the game around sex crime, or or revolve around those sort of topics, which people don't necessarily want to be exploring in your tabletop RPG? And I'm, have I opened a whole other can of worms where you can then say, well, hang on a minute, this is the world of darkness or the puppies? I think you can. I think you can. You can do both. I think you can be respectful, and you can you can explore dark themes and dark topics without kind of forcing people to deal with topics that they don't want to. And if they don't want to deal with those topics, well, then this isn't, you just say, well, this isn't the game for you. Move on, play something else. I, I think I think you can have that middle road. And I think to an extent, 
Onyx Path have been treading that middle road and treading it very, very well. Absolutely. And I'm, I'm, I'm just worried that the, the new White Wolf are going are gonna to push that away in an, in an attempt to be edgy. And I, and I think it'd be a real shame if, 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 if they went down that road. Absolutely, Pete. I concur 100%. And definitely something, um, you know, this is, again, just kind of my own personal uh, level of boycotting. I do still intend to purchase uh, Chronicles of Darkness products, despite the fact that, you know, some small royalty does go to White Wolf Publishing. And that's because I feel that Onyx Path is doing a great job on, on the whole. And by supporting those products and showing that there's still interests, there's still profitability, I hope that it will show that um, that's really the path that they should be treading. They should be treading the Onyx Path. Very cute. <laughs> Terrible joke, but levity. <laughs> bring it, reeling it, it reeling it on back. <laughs> I like it. Indeed, indeed. Well, okay. So I think that's uh, what we have to say on the on the, the news. That's the um, news slash soapbox that we that we're on. Uh, the other thing that White Wolf Publishing did put out uh, was a trailer for their World of Darkness documentary. Um, it's just two minutes long. Uh, we can link it in the show notes. I gave it a quick view. Um, it seems okay. Uh, it's, I don't think it's really going to be written or filmed uh, for us who are very knowledgeable about World of Darkness and Chronicles of Darkness. It's more as an introduction to try to get uh, people excited or maybe people that have lapsed uh, over the past you know, uh, 13 years since uh, the uh, uh, Vampire the Masquerade was ended uh, with, with Gehenna. It seems cool. My only comment was that, man, there's a lot of white people. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, yeah. Look, um, look. I know that uh, New White Wolf have some grand ambitions, and one of those is, you know, is um, they talk a little bit about the brand and it being an IP. And I, my eyes glaze over when you start using, you know, sort of transmedia buzzwords. But they have said that one of their goals is to eventually have some kind of White Wolf Netflix show. And their issue, I think, a little bit is White Wolf inspired a whole bunch of stuff that then went on to fame and glory. Like, um, you know, uh, it's it's verifiable fact that, um, what was her name, Charlene Harris, the Sookie Stackhouse vampire novels that went on to become True Blood was, I think she was, uh, I think she was maybe an, an NST, so, an, so not an NST, I think she was a, a domain storyteller within the Camarilla organisation back in the 90s. She's clearly been inspired by this. And I think what they're worried about, and maybe quite rightly so, is what I call the John Carter factor. So their their original product inspired all these other products, you know, or, or inspired all these other series mm-hmm. which have been really, really, really popular. But if you're now bringing out the original, like this this imitation, so so in in, sim, in a similar way that John Carter inspired Star Wars and inspired Avatar, and then when you bring out you know, a, an adaptation of that original property, but you don't educate your audience, people look at it and go, well, this is a rip-off of Star Wars and Avatar. And people in the know sort of shake their heads and go, no, dude, this this came on, you know, way before that. This inspired those people. But if the general public don't know that, they just go, uh, well, it's a rip-off. So I, I see it maybe that this this documentary is, is maybe an attempt to public about what's going on so, you know so, and then they can potentially further their 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 aspirations of maybe one day getting 
a Vampire the Masquerade TV show happening. So, yeah, we'll see. It, it, it's definitely very much a the white guys explaining, you know, how good their stuff is. And maybe it may it may well be that we don't know. Like a lot of the stuff with with White Wolf Publishing, it's it's a question mark. It's a we will see. All right, so I think that's it for the news uh, today. I forgot to check out what Onyx Path has out, so we'll just cover that next episode. And let's move on over to our uh, main segment here, talking about World of Darkness video games. Classic World of Darkness. All right, Pete, so let's kind of set the baseline here a little bit. There have been a lot of World of Darkness games, and uh, I just kind of wanted to, you know, discuss the history a little bit before we move on to discussing the the newer apps and all of that, just to uh, kind of give us a feel for what we've seen before and maybe what we can see in the future. So let's start off with Vampire the Masquerade Redemption. That was the first game. And uh, Pete, did you ever play it? I did. It was an absolute hoot. Excellent. Excellent. Yeah. At its base, it's a love story told through the uh, medium of a Diablo-style dungeon crawl. We're probably not selling it very well, and admittedly, I think, when did this this bad boy come out? I want to say maybe 96, 97, or was it it even maybe later? June 7th, 2000. Oh, wow. All right. Yeah, so it was kind of late in the game. This was four years after Diablo came out. Okay. Um, But that was a popular uh, gameplay style at the time, so... I guess yeah. that's how they they went with it. It's it's one of those things where, where I will I re, I remember it being fantastic with the addendum that I was eighteen at the time, and we are now talking seventeen years ago. So, and I'm not sure how well it's aged. When was when was the last time you fired this one up, Mike? I think I replayed it in 2008. I think that was the last time I played it. Right. So, oh my gosh, that's almost a decade ago. <laughs> um, <laughs> wow. Okay. Uh, that said. It actually does a pretty good job of portraying the uh, World of Darkness milieu in that when you start off, it it takes place over two eras. You have the Dark Ages and the Modern Knights. And it really, I think, does a a very good job of kind of, in in that initial Dark Ages setting, really easing you into this uh, World of Darkness, you know, kind of peeling back the onion, uh, to steal a term from Call of Cthulhu. And you start off just as a crusader, uh, you start running into some strange things. And actually, another cool thing that most people probably don't know is that this was back in the day where they gave you like instruction manuals in, uh, in your, your physical boxed video game, which actually like came with some pretty cool stuff in there. And there's a, you know, a discussion of all the different clans in there, so you can get kind of primed in on all of that. But there's actually a short story... Uh, which you're supposed to read before playing the video game, oh, wow. which sets the stage for uh, like why the uh, the character ends up where they are, and also how they kind of have some knowledge to fight uh, the the kindred themselves. Because all right, now now correct me if I'm wrong. I think this is one where where you play as a crusader. You're kind of dungeon crawling through. Well, I guess you know a dungeon. I, I seem all right. Correct me if I'm wrong. I think you're in a catacombs underneath, like this this haunted cathedral or something. Pretty close. So you start off. You venture through like some silver mines. No. You defeat the vampire, and by doing that, all the other kindred of the city of uh, Prague, Praha, if you will, mm-hmm. are like, oh man, this dude's pretty badass. Someone should embrace them quick, because otherwise it's going to be trouble. And well, that's where your adventure really begins. 
Cool. Now, I only ever, I only ever played it. I think I played up to that peak because I was. This was. I remember. I was eighteen. I was playing it. I didn't quite have. I didn't have a PC at the time that that, um, that could handle it. I was playing it on a friend's system, you know, sort of in between. I think we were in between games, and I was so I, I played about sort of six or seven hours of it over the course of three months, and, and then never got around to, to playing the bit when you're running around the modern day. So you're a little bit on your own on that one, Mike. So so how did the story kick off once once it then shifted? I think seven hundred years into the future. Basically, just to give you a, a spoiler of what the plot is, um, as a crusader, you fall in love with a nun. And, of course, you can't be with a nun because they uh, have uh, celibacy. So, you know, there's some awkwardness. Then you get turned into a vampire. That makes it more awkward. And, essentially, you spend a little bit of time uh, chasing MacGuffins for other vampires. But the ultimate goal, as you get to the modern knights, is finding your lost love. Because she becomes a ghoul to a Zemitsi. And that's pretty much where the story goes from there. Uh, running around London, then New York City, fighting alligators in the sewers, and doing a lot of other crazy stuff. It's, yeah, it's it has the same problem that uh, we'll get to with, well, basically every other World of Darkness video game here from the past. Which is that you kill just like wave upon wave of vampires and ghouls and other strange creatures, which is definitely not how World of Darkness games are usually played. But for the the gaming scene at the time with PC gaming, that did kind of make sense if you want to just uh, make kind of a generic action game. Yeah. It was... um, that said, however... Sorry, go for it. So that said, one of the really... Very interesting things about Vampire the Masquerade Redemption, uh, which I don't think is supported anymore. It was as of like 2004, was that there was a really cool multiplayer system uh, in this game, complete with like a, a you know a game master storyteller mode. So you could take a map and start populating it with NPCs, uh, start programming them uh, to kind of give people quests and basically make your own levels, or just kind of like lounge around with other people and basically. It would allow you to play like a four-person LARP, essentially, uh, online, which was like really novel at the time. Uh, it's something you don't see anymore in, in video yeah. games at all. But back in the day, you know, there was like clans and everything, which doesn't make much sense, but you can only have four people in a hub. But it's really like something something that people should document a little bit more because I think there is definitely a lot of cool content. Some of it's still left on like Planet Vampire. Uh, you can download some of the old mods and all of that. Um, but I don't think there's like a very good way at the moment of firing it up and actually playing with other people to like check out some of the mods and other, uh, other basically chronicles that people made for this game. So Mike, did you ever get a chance to fool around with the multiplayer? Because as I said before, I was playing on a friend's PC and uh, at the time um, Austra uh, Australian internet really wasn't anything to sneeze at and uh, um, we never got the multiplayer up and going. Oh yeah, uh, so Vampire the Masquerade Redemption was, it wasn't my first experience with the World of Darkness, but it's really what kind of sold me on it, uh, you know, as a, a young tyke of like 13 years old and kind of got me interested later in like really picking up the RPGs. So yeah, I, I played through the entire single player, uh, played online in the goofy clans that we had on uh, the multiplayer and just really had a, had a great time with it back in the day. You can still play it. You can buy it on like good old games and check it out. It's wicked cheap. It's like six dollars normally, and it goes on sale all the time for like three bucks or something. So, uh, it's it's you know if you got a couple bucks to burn, 
and you want to check it out, I still think it's kind of interesting. The other option is that, you know, there's people that have kind of cut together all the cutscenes and all the, the major story bits on YouTube. So you could just check it out there if you want to, you know, kind of get up to speed real quick in like an hour or something. Mm, cool. So that brings us to the next game, which actually never was released, but we just kind of mentioned it before, which was uh, Werewolf the Apocalypse Heart of Gaia. And uh, it was an unreleased kind of adventure RPG. Uh, but the cool thing is that you can go online on YouTube and uh, somehow all of the cutscenes are up there. Like someone saved them and posted them uh, once, once YouTube uh, finally came around. So you can kind of get up to speed on the story. Uh, but uh, the, pretty much the main premise is that you play as the last White Howler. Um, those being the, uh, the tribe that mostly fell to the uh, Black Spiral Dancers. It's kind of a cool premise, but unfortunately, it's not a great, based on the cutscenes, not a great showing of the uh, Road to Darkness milieu. Uh, it's very, very action-oriented. It's kind of like a grand sweeping epic, which is pretty fitting for the, the uh, Werewolf the Apocalypse game. But you don't get a really good feel for the, the World of Darkness itself and, you know, how... There's all these normal mortals just walking around, uh, you know, completely oblivious to uh, what's what's going on around them. It's very much set in the Umbra, going through like strange, bizarre puzzles, uh, different Umbral realms, and fighting a lot of Fomori and other bad guys along the way. Yeah, you don't you don't really get a sense of where this was going, and and kind of in yeah, as I said, this was this was an incredibly early build. I'm not sure how far along they were on it. What's what's out there does kind of make it look like a really. I mean, I'll just kind of say it. It makes it look like a kind of bloody version of <laughs> yeah, Crash Bandicoot, def- I guess. So, well, I mean, you know, because 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 I mean, I mean, everything we see. I mean, all the cutscenes, all the scenes, or all the you know, the very early, uh, I guess, pre-alpha mm-hmm. gameplay. You're in Krynos mode. You're tearing things apart in the Umbra. So yeah, it, it does kind of, you know, and of course you know it's, it's kind of blocky because everything was blocky back in the day. Um, you, you get a sense for maybe where they were going, and this could have been something awesome. But yeah, it's, it's it's one that just is you know sort of sits there and goes, yeah, this this is what could have been. Which of course brings us to Hunter the Reckoning, three three different Hunter the Reckoning video games, which is incredible that it got so many. Crazy. <laughs> yeah, and it's pretty much. Um, in the same vein of, of Heart of Gaia, you know, you uh, fight hordes and hordes of zombies in some town, and you're saving, like, the 20 mortal humans that are still remaining. It's kind of a gauntlet-style game. You know, there's just, like, these waves of uh, enemies coming at you, and you have to shoot and slice them and do what you gotta do. It's uh, not very in keeping with uh, World yeah. of Darkness or the source material yeah. of Hunter the Reckoning. Although I'm sure some people did play it that way back in the day. Um, you're a little bit on your own describing this one. I remember, I think I picked up the second one. I want to say Wayward. Um, I think I remember getting that in a, in an uncheap bin at our, at our local um, EB games. I, I took it home, played it for sort of half an hour. And I was like, what the hell is this? This is, this isn't my bag. And I, I think I took it back to the store. and was able to get you know, pretty much a full refund because I, I took it back within six hours. Yeah, wow. Um, yeah, I also played the second one, which is Wayward. Uh, they had a really bizarre release scheme. I think the first one came out for GameCube and Xbox. The second one came out for Xbox and PlayStation. And the third one came out for PlayStation and GameCube. So you had to have two systems to be able to play all three, 
where just the uh, yeah, it was wacky. Yeah, I, I think yeah, I think you're, I think I remember that correctly. Yeah, it was just bizarre. Uh. So anyway, uh, the cool thing about this, though, kind of looking back, and I just realized this is that when you look at the the cast of characters, it's actually really diverse for you know like two thousand two, two thousand three. I mean, of course, there's like the angry white dude character that you can play as, but. Aside from that, there's like this really salty black woman, a sarcastic East Asian girl, and also a pretty dope Mexican priest that you can play as. And of course, in the uh, Hunter the Reckoning Wayward, you get to play as God 45, which is a a character from the actual uh, RPG books. They don't really portray him correctly. You know, he's supposed to be this like psychotic dude that will like, uh, he's all like, if you're going to cut out the cancer, you got to take some good flesh with it kind of guy. But they portray him as this, like, Campbellian character who's like, oh, no, he's going to hurt innocence. We got to stop him. And that sort of thing. So, right. yeah, they kind of messed that up. But suffice it to say, pretty diverse cast, which was, uh, you know, out of, out of the ordinary at the time. Which then brings us to Vampire the Masquerade Bloodlines. Pete, I know you love it. Why don't you get started? Oh, my God. Right. Where to begin? Now, Mike, did you play any of this back in the day? 100% when it came out. Right. (laughs) It was. Okay. If you haven't played it, pause us. Go get it. It's seriously brilliant. It still holds up very well today. So this was one that came out. Okay. Now, I want to say, what do you reckon, 2004? Yep. You got it after Vampire the Masquerade was ended with Gehenna. 2004. Yep, came out two thousand four after Gehenna kicked in. So yeah, well done. That's 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 something video game companies just cannot seem to line up. Did you notice that? Okay, a quick aside for a second. Mm-hmm. Um, did you notice that uh, GW, so good old good old lamented Games Workshop, couldn't even pull this off either? Yeah, where where they brought out what is it, Total War Warhammer, and it came out about four months after they completely killed the game line. I think it was even longer than that. And also, uh, end time, Warhammer end <laughs> time. Yeah. It's just, yeah, it's just, they, they cannot line this up at all to save themselves. Yeah. Um, but so, so Vampire the Masquerade Bloodlines, it was the last game put out by Troika, which was this RPG gaming company that had put out, I think they were, they were, you know, the remnant of what happened of, uh, the Black Isle studios that put out both for the original Fallout and Fallout 2. Yep. And they put out this other great game, which was, oh shit, what the fuck was that called? Arcanum? Yeah. Oh, there you go. Sorry. Um, yeah. so, all right. Pause that again. Um, so they put out this game, this really awesome steampunk RPG called Arcanum, which was absolutely godly. Um, and uh, it looks like all the profit that they got for, um, from that one, they pumped into Vampire Bloodlines. And it came out on the same day as a very small little independent game you may have heard of called Half-Life 2. Mm-hmm. Yep, that definitely hurt their chances. Yeah, whoop. Yeah, whoopsie doodle. Um, so the game, the game kind of dis- it didn't, you know, because it went up against this massive killer AAA title, you know, it kind of died a death. Uh, and the, I think I think the company had already kind of died off a little bit. I, I don't think they quite had enough money, mm-hmm. um, so it, it kind of shipped broken. I know that um, that there was one point you'd make it up to the game where it would just where it would just die. You would you would get up to this awesome bit, and then you know it would kick back out to Windows. So so they yep. had to they had to patch the crap out of it. It perseveres, and it's it's a game that has this wonderful fan community. That coming up on twelve years later, they're still putting out new. You know, they're still 
patching game. They're still improving the game. Um, and a whole bunch of people who are actively involved in the community, um, Ian Watson of, of Onyx Path, he's still producing art elements and putting add-ons into the game. Uh, I think very recently, I think, I think he updated um, one of the in-game maps. So uh, the deal with this one um, is you play uh, a, a child of a vampire uh, and you're embraced sort of during the intro sequence. And, you know, right after you get embraced, the door flies open, all these other vampires run in, you get staked. And so you're then kind of out alone uh, and then you get sort of, you know, all wrapped up in the van politics. There's, um, there's this, and what is it? There is uh, this, this sarcophagus has arrived, the Ankaran sarcophagus, and some mm-hmm. of the vampires believe that it may well contain an antiluvian or, or, or something equally terrifying. Um, a couple of the, I think there's at least, I know, there's at least one sort of, uh, what are they called? There's one signature character, Beckett shows up, you know, sort of vampire Indiana Jones. Uh, he definitely shows up in the game. Oh, no, it's, it's, it's the two that I definitely know of. I'm probably wrong, and I'm probably going to get corrected online. Uh, Smite Jack shows up. He's, he's actually voiced by uh, the voice actor who plays Bender in Futurama, which is oh, a lot yeah? of fun. Nice. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> uh, yeah, John DiMaggio. Yeah, so he, so he plays Smile Jack. Um, and, yeah, it's it's absolutely brilliant. It's one of those ones that it's, it's, in, it's engrossing. It'll take you kind of, you know, it'll take you... I think a decent amount of time to play through it and you can play through multiple, multiple times. There's, there's a bunch of sequences in it, which are kind of classic. Um, there's one particular character in there, uh, Janice. That's Janet. Again, I haven't looked at it in a little while. Oh, Jeanette. Um, Jeanette. I'm sorry. Yeah. And, and so she's, a, she's probably one of the, the more decent, although you can make the argument that there's, there's never any good, decent, um, you know, decent portrayals of Malkavians, which is this incredibly popular version and one that actually went on to inspire this kind of retrend they did of Harlequin that then, of course, ended up in the very famous um, uh, Suicide Squad movie. So that's, that's, again, that's another way that, you know, that, that White Wolf has, has influenced the popular culture. Um, yeah, what else? And uh, that's right, there's this sequence where she asks your character to go and get a locket from a haunted location. And that's one of the few times when I've been genuinely frightened playing a game. They do yep. that so incredibly well. You end up walking through this haunted house and, you know, sort of as you're walking down, you see, you know, these crazy things. Like I think you see a little girl cowering before a man walking with a nut, walking with a, an axe. Yep. And then, you know, something happens to block your vision for a second. And then when you get round there, I remember it being a really creepy sequence that I was playing at three o'clock in the morning. I think my brother came home. I had headphones on, and he's tapped me on the back of the on the back of the head, and I've flown up and screamed, ripped the headphone jack out of the side of the computer, causing it damage, and woke up my mother. <laughs> yeah, I pretty much had the same experience. Yeah, it ended up being sort of one of my, one of my favorite sort of computer game experiences of all time. Um, that being said, it's not perfect, and again, it probably there probably is now the version that I played with was basically, I think in many ways, it was unfinishable unless you were playing, I think, as a Bruja. I think there's there's one particular monster at the end. Um, the Kuei Jin, the, the good old, much lamented Kuei Jin, uh, they play quite a big role in the story. And at one point you find them, who I think then sort of morphs into a couple of Cthulhu monsters. And I think at the time the game came out, 
you could really only play as a Brujar and um and beat her. I know a friend of mine won that fight because she glitched and stopped moving and stopped attacking. <laughs> sort of go move up behind her and get her in the back of the head. Yeah, yeah. The way I beat that one, uh, I think I was playing the same version, but there's like a flower pot I could hide behind, and it's like half its <laughs> melee attacks wouldn't work. So, yeah, that's how I uh, beat that one. Yeah, I, I, and I remember I think I had to get a cheat code or something in because um, I played through an. Oh, yeah, this is great. Um, I played through as an Alcavian on my first playthrough. And what they do with that is really, really cute. Putting some things in there specifically for the Malk. So you have, you know, there are some crazy sequences when all of a sudden they end up having this conversation with the stop sign. Or there's, I think, I think there's a bit when a, when a fish turns and you have this conversation with the fish. Now, again, whether that's, you know, whether that's a, a, a good, you know, um, a good depiction of mental illness or, or something which is, which, you know, works in a role playing game. I don't know, but I, rem- I remember it was a lot of fun in the video game. Mm-hmm. Yep. Yeah. Um, and so, yeah, it's, it's this one that's had, it's had this other life. It's, it's, it's a little bit similar. I'd actually put it, I'd make it, I compare it to something like a Blade Runner or a Fight Club of the video game world. It's something that came out at its time and it was, it was a big disappointment financially, but it's gone on to become this massive cult hit that still has this really devoted following. People look at, people look on it very, very fondly. And every so often someone sits there and goes, wow, you know, why hasn't someone made a sequel to that? And I think, I think that's, that's, that's something that Martin Erickson, in, his, in his, one of his first addresses to the public as, um, as White Wolf's lead storyteller said, you know, we, we're constantly getting emails, you know, why don't you put out another Bloodlines and, and we're going to do our best to answer that question. So yeah, hopefully sometime down the trail we'll we'll get a decent into that because oh my god, would I love to play a sequel? Uh, I think the only other thing to say about Bloodlines is if you haven't played it and you want to pick it up, definitely get some mods because they fix a lot of the bugs, make it fully playable, and uh, it really just helps things out overall. Yeah, that's 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 kind of funny. It's like <laughs> it's, we say it's a great game; it just needs it needs a lot of fixing. But yeah, but now, yeah, I, I would definitely agree with that. I think it's again, it's it's always there's always Steam sales. I think you can pick it up for, I think maybe something like less than a fiver. And if not, I, I know it's definitely on Steam. It's definitely on GOG. And yeah, I would if if you pick up anything from from this discussion today, and if you, it would be, you need to go and play Vampire Bloodlines if you haven't played it already. Yep, one hundred percent. I definitely agree. Which I think Pete mm. brings us to the new vampire game, Vampire Prelude. Okay. And well, it has a pretty good subtitle, which is "We Eat Blood and All of Our Friends Are Dead," which is actually pretty fitting for Vampire the Masquerade. Yeah, I suppose. Um, I don't hate it. Uh, it's not. <laughs> I don't hate the title. Um, I think. I think. I'm still very partial to. Um, I know that uh, Greg Stolze for his first uh, his first vampire novel. Uh, Vampire the Masquerade, no, sorry, Vampire the Requiem novel. Uh, he wanted to call that My Drinking Problem, <laughs> which I think still is the greatest title for anything ever. But, oh okay, yeah, gosh. we blood and our friends are dead. It doesn't quite roll on our friends. It doesn't quite roll off the tongue, but it's 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 not so bad. Cool. Uh, do you want to just kind of talk about it a little bit, uh, go over the concept and all that? All right. So so conceptually, all right, so, so what this is, so these are both on, I think they're, I think it's on the Steam store, but it's mostly designed to be played 
on your smartphone. So I know it's de- it's definitely on uh, the Apple iStore for well, for, for Australians. It's it's seven dollars because of course we have to pay the Australia tax. And for I think Mike was saying that you know uh, how much is it for you on either your Apple or your Google store, Mike? I think you're saying it's about a fiver in in, in American dollars. Yeah, that's correct. Yeah, cool. Um, so what this is is um, conceptually, it's not a bad idea at all. So this is a story about a couple of vampires, which is told entirely through their character's phone. So as you play through it, you're given a series of instant messages. You have this conversation, which will sort of write itself in front of you. Um, you're getting a series of images because uh, the characters involved are artists and they're sitting there sketching and they'll, and they'll send to you. Um, and you'll receive messages from other characters. So you're two artists, you've been embraced, and weird thing, well, you wake up as vampires, and that's how it starts. Um, you're texting your friend who's also a vampire, but far away, and you decide to get on a bus to New York and try to run away, but figure out what's going on. It doesn't make a lot of sense. Um, also, no. so there's just a giant gaping plot hole in the entire thing within the first 30 seconds, which is that one of the choices you can make, so it's kind of a choose your own adventure in that you um, occasionally, it's, it's an interactive novel where you press A to continue, but occasionally it gives you two or three choices and you can choose one. One of them is right. And the other choices make you die and you have to start over again. But one of the choices you can make is that you ditch your phone. You got a you got a burner phone with a new SIM card, and yet later on, supposedly like your your sire just starts texting you as mother in your phone. So somehow they got into the contacts of your phone, uh, and I think they explained it as you know the fact that they like put their contact info in your phone. But you've got a burner if you chose that, so it just doesn't make any sense. You should not be able to be contacted by them in the first place. And they kind of make a big deal in the beginning that, like, people don't know your phone number. So, mm. I don't know. And it's, it's, it's one of those things that, okay, unfortunately, when you start having those thoughts, then it kind of unravels the rest of it. So, this one was primarily written by Zach S. and a new writer called Sarah Horrocks. And so, so once you have that whole thing of it's entirely in-world done through im messaging and picture messaging between your character between these two characters between the character between your character who is case who you get the option rename, and i think i ended up calling him twinkle because that's the sort of thing that i do mm-hmm. um i think his friend izzy who's also been turned into a vampire correct yep now yeah, yeah and, it, and as you said he gets a burner phone and then he starts getting messages from mother and then you think well hang on, that doesn't make sense but also from one of the limitations, well, it's quite a limitation. One of the choices that they've made is okay. So Zach S and Sarah Horrocks also, you know, also they they write, but they also provide all the artwork, and that's portrayed in game as sketch pieces that these two are sending each other. All right, you then you know you, you have these sequences where they're being hunted down and chased, and they're like, oh, I just drew this, and, I, and, I'll, and I'll send it, and I'll send it to you, and you're thinking really? You're going to stop what you're doing and, and sketch something? And then you start thinking, well, hang on a second. These, these guys have got their phones on them. Why aren't they taking photographs? Mm-hmm. Yep, yep. And you're thinking, well, hang on a minute. If, if, we've, if, if we've got the resources to have artists working on this, why don't we have another artist who's providing, you know, some more naturalistic art that we can use as in-game photographs? 
And, and then you have sort of some other sequences when, you know, they're literally hiding with their phone and they're sending these very, very long texts to each other. Wouldn't you be maybe leaving voice messages? There's, there's one particular sequence which, uh, to me, just it absolutely sticks out like, like, like um, I'll use an Australianism, it sticks out like dog's bollocks, where they've, they've come back to their, to their lover's home and their lover's literally been ripped apart. You know, there's, there's pieces of them everywhere. And they're kind of sending cute messages to each other. You know, it's almost like like the sequence, like, well, well, she had she had Harry Potter on the brain, and now her brain is on a stack of Harry Potters, and you're like, huh, yeah, okay. And I just kind of think, well, hang on a minute, you've you've got access to, you know, you've, you know, this is a digital product. Was it beyond the scope of you guys to hire some voice actors and have them leaving voice messages to each other? So that's something that I think that they could have come up with relatively simply and it would have added, you know, one, it would have maybe a bit more realism. Well, that's maybe not the term. But, you know, a bit more urgency rather than, you know, if, you, if you're ringing up someone and you're like, they're all dead. Oh, my God, I can't believe it. They're all dead. As opposed to just kind of sending kind of twee SMSs to each other. It, it really kind of falls apart. Um, and, yeah, the whole the choose-your-own-adventure sequences, I would, I would have just dropped at the, you know, at, at, at the conceptual stage, they are just so frustrating yeah, because it's, it's, it's literally a pick a boss C. They're not all of, all of them aren't, there's no kind of intuitiveness to it. If that makes sense. You know, one's like run away, another one's like hide. And you think, you know, and then you think, well, okay, run away. Oh, I've been caught and now he's got, you know, and now he's got me in a headlock. Bye honey. You have died. And you're like, Oh yeah. <laughs> Oh, okay, and then it backs you up to doesn't back you up to, to picking. You have to then tab through for five minutes to get back to that fork. Yeah, it was that was yeah. pretty terrible game design in like 1983. So and... I'm, I'm just sort of tapping away like mad. I think to the point where I was, yeah, I'll be honest with it. I was so bloody frustrated with it. I went, okay, where's a, let's let's jump online so I can read the end of this. Yep. Where's a where's a let's play? Just because I was just so frustrated with with this with this sort of gameplay that just didn't work at all and then yeah and unfortunately because it's because again because you've got this whole thing of hang on i've got a burner hang on why aren't i you know why aren't i sending things and then you just you kind of i don't know for me it's almost like i argument into this kind of feedback loop where i'm annoyed at it and where all of a sudden because because then because you start getting messaged you know as, as you go further along the story you get messaged by more and more people also more and more more and more more and more kindred and they're dropping huge bombs. They're mentioning clans by name. They're explaining what clans do. And you go, this is all happening on an unsewered <laughs> network. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> and, I, and I know maybe that's just me going, it's like, look, okay. And again, uh, my conception of, of vampires, you know, maybe this is wrong. Maybe this isn't how people play it. Maybe this is, maybe they've, they've the new, you know, shepherds of the property have come up with some, some nonsense where no, you know, there's, and, and this actually pops up a little bit in one of the more recent B20 books. This is in Anarchs Unbound mm-hmm. where they actually say that, you know, there's, there's this sort of almost vampire technomancy where they can, you can conceal vampire instant messaging chat as, as lol cats. But that's, but that's something from another time. But, you know, and so you've got these, particularly there's this one character, Marco, who he's like a three or four, I think he's even older than that. He's this old Tremere. Oh, he's he's really adopted modern technology well, and yeah, it's these they're, they're dropping esoteric knowledge 
So I'm like, well, yeah. Masquerade's not going to be, you know, broke, unbroken for very long. But again, I think, I don't know. I don't know if that was just me because it had already kind of annoyed me to the point where I was kind of, I don't know if I was just looking for, for angles to be annoyed at it by at that point. I don't know. How, how did you feel by that point, Mike? Did you make it all the way through or were you kind of like, oh my God? Uh, no, I quit after like an hour or something because it's <laughs> just not worth my time to play this. I mean, I think the thing, like you could, if you look around on the internet, some people are uh, you know, making a big deal about certain certain scenes that come up and you know being being offended about it. But the issues with the game are really just very mundane. You know, if you like the ra- writing or or dislike it, I I for example can't stand the uh, exposition that occurs and just like the walls of text just explaining scenes in a, a manner that nobody would text. No one no one writes like that. Oh yeah, yeah, and 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 you then you, see, you then put your as I said, if there'd been audio elements to this, you know, you could imagine someone sitting there, you know, you know, as a recorded phone call, someone sitting there going, "Oh my god, what's going on?" As opposed to just you know, someone because you then imagine this character hunched in the corner, their face only illuminated by their phone, texting away like mad. <laughs> Yeah, it's... and 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 I'm I'm laughing out loud as I'm as I'm imagining this scene. I'm not I'm not wrapped up in the narrative at all. I'm I'm kind of giggling at it. Yeah, yeah, pretty much. And I that's I, I think that's 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 totally not what you know. That's totally not what these guys set out to do. And, no, no, no. And and actually, and I'll, I'll be honest with you. And I know I know some people may argue that look because we've we've already previously stated how we feel about the author that we were predisposed to dislike it. Because of because of because of how because of this preconceived notion we have of the guy, I didn't actually hundred percent realize this was this was this was uh, you know Zach Smith was the author behind this until I was about an hour in, and already by that point I was already like oh my god what's going here, and then I looked at some of the art and I went, well, that, that that looks a lot like what I've seen of Zach's and I went let's have a look at the Chris page and it was like okay yeah it's well I think I think the point to bring across is that you know. We can look at this critically and empirically and just kind of discuss, you know, some of the pacing issues. Um, you know, for for example, there's not really a good rising action in a lot of the uh, of the drama of the game. Um, as you mentioned, you know, the voice messages could have been a great way to kind of portray, um, you know, some of the some of the tension uh, with the characters and really kind of drive that home. But, you know, instead, we just get these like, you know, bizarre expositions, and they, like, break off and just, like, start texting about this American life at one point when a character is trapped <laughs> in a coffin. <laughs> and it's it's not good. It's not good at all. No, and it's not. one of the interesting things, uh, you know, to kind of help us, you know, look at this in a, I guess, more unbiased fashion, you know, to kind of compare it, uh, is that Old White Wolf, back in the day, actually put out a uh, a superior version of this story, I feel, in uh, a product called Vampire Diaries: The Embrace, which came out in '94, um, it's not. It, it's it's very pedestrian in a lot of ways. Um, it's a kind of a found fiction diary that they published, but it kind of sells this interactive experience where you know it says you know the title is just like my diary. Uh, there's actually a physical lock on it that you can lock, and there's little keys. And when you open it up, there's you know a couple of uh, extra messages. Like there's a letter in back. Uh, from the the character's girlfriend. There's a letter to his brother. And it kind of just gives you, like, some cool uh, ways to kind of bring you into the story. And, you know, this version from from over uh, 20 years ago, 
uh, kind of tells you the same story of a character becoming embraced, trying to find out some information about who they are, um, and just has a much better, you know, rising action, as I mentioned. You know, the tension being built as this character is drawn further and further into the world of darkness itself. And then the uh, uh, terrible actions they must take once they've been embraced. So I guess my uh, my opinion of this is this is probably not worth your time and money. If you really want to see this kind of a story, um, check out Vampire Diaries, uh, The Embrace. Uh, it's or Vampire Diary, The Embrace, I should say. Vampire Diaries is, is something different. <laughs> um, but you can you can find the PDF online. Uh, I got the book for like four dollars off of eBay, including shipping. So there's definitely uh, copies floating around for for real cheap if you really want to check this think, out. I don't think this one. I don't think it sells itself as it's not. It wasn't sold as particularly a, a Vampire the Masquerade product, was it? It doesn't kind of have the logo emblazoned all over it, does it? Uh, it does on the back, but you know if you it read just the says Vampire uh, Diary, the embrace, yeah, yeah. But if you read the uh, kind of back text to sell it, you know, it tries to uh, to sell itself. And this is something that Mark Reinhagen, uh, who who wrote the book, uh, along with Robert oh, wow. Weinberg, um, it sells itself as being like, this is the truth about vampires, found fiction. This is all real, um, which <laughs> which is a silly thing that they've tried to do many times. But yeah, if you were to just find it without the dust cover just like in a used bookstore, you'd be like, whoa, this is weird. It just says my diary and you open it up and it's got all this bizarre text and actually pretty decent artwork in a lot of, a lot of respects. Um, but yeah, if you still really want to check out uh, Vampire Prelude, I really, I still don't think it's worth your money. Um, if you really want to check it out, there's, there are let's plays on YouTube, for example, so you can kind of just check it out as a sampler, see if it's up your alley, and you can you can check it out from there. Yeah, this is this is something that I think was conceptually fine and then utterly fell down in execution. Um, I I couldn't I don't think I don't think I don't think it justifies the seven Australian that I paid for it. Um, nope. Yeah, but your your own mileage may vary. So that wasn't the only app that uh, New White Wolf put out. Uh, last week, I think it was uh, coming up on two weeks ago now. Uh, they also put out one called Mage Refuge, which is by a Swedish author called uh, Karen Tidbeck. Now, I didn't quite have a chance to dive into that one too far, but so it's it's of a similar setup. It it, it completely does away, thank God, with sort of the instant message. It's more just you know, it's 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 just, it's a branching off story done in I suppose the second person. It has a bunch of you statements. Uh, I'm about an hour into that one. That is, you are playing a, a young girl, woman named Julia, who uh, works at a bookstore in Sweden. And uh, in her part time, she's, um, in, I guess, what would you call it, in a refugee center, um, looking after uh, Syrian, mm-hmm. Kurdish, and Libyan refugees. Um, and then I think it just gradually gets gets pulled uh, into the world of Mage. Um, Mike, have you had a have you dive into that one at all? Uh, I just checked out some some actual plays on YouTube uh, just to kind of see what was going on with it. So yeah, as you mentioned, it kind of uses like the European refugee crisis currently ongoing as a backdrop to explore Mage, which uh, could be a pretty incredible story to tell. And you know, there's a lot of like Mage proper nouns in here: Infandis, Cult of Ecstasy, Technocracy, and um, specifically, and I don't I don't mean to 
be so critical before we kind of dig into this more. But one of the really strange decisions that they made was, you know, they really want to push the technocracy is evil. And uh, they're actually behind the real world Swedish Democratic Party, which is a real world ultranationalist political party, which in Sweden does does not want to allow refugees in uh, anymore. So that is a, a very strange political statement I, I feel to make, especially given uh, the amount of, you know, the backlog of material we have on the technocracy and how they've really just developed more and more over the years to not be such a, a fascistic organization. Um, do you think that that might be the, the new white wolf sort of maybe kind of being a little bit blunt with their own personal politics, kind of pushing that forward a little bit? Uh, it, probably, probably. Yeah, see, it's... it's... It's one of the things that, that it, it really gets up my nose when you have the supernatural factions um, really getting involved with real-world events, like particularly. So if, if you come out yeah. and you say, no, the, the technocracy are pushing behind this this real-world group, that's to go, well, okay, hang on. And, and maybe I guess that one works a little bit. I, I, there was one in Anarchs Unbound that they did, uh, which just uh, I, I literally laughed when I went, um, when I read the book where they said um yeah the Anarch Revolt was responsible for the 2008 GFC and I just sort oh of went, my gosh oh. yeah I know I just, I just kind of went oh really uh, mm. oh yeah yeah, yeah oh, oh really so so they're they're able to manipulate global financial markets you know because because i know i know a little bit about that and so that was that was one of the ones that yeah. you know I've, I've done a little bit of research a little bit of studying to the events that led up to the gfc and i just sort of went that is laughable that is ridiculous and maybe in this way it's you know because the technocracy arcs kind of this monolithic organization maybe you know it's maybe a little bit more realistic or a little bit more within the scope of them to be behind this real world party but again digging into the real politics of it, you then go, okay, well, does that then mean that this real-world figure is a techno-mage or is the puppet of a techno-mage? You know, how, how far can you push that before it kind of falls over? So I, I kind of wish they wouldn't kind of go down that path and, you know, maybe maybe it was something that was kind of invented by the author and hopefully won't be in more of it, you know, as we go on, you know, as... as uh, New White Wolf roll out more elements. I, I kind of, you know, we don't discover that, oh, I don't know, that Donald Trump is a nefandi or something ridiculous. Yeah, certainly uh, not something I want to see in, in World of Darkness products. But, um, you know, beyond that, there, there's some kind of weird stuff with uh, how the mage mechanics are portrayed. You know, this character is, uh, Julia is essentially like an orphan mage, but she seems to be able to uh, do magic from multiple different paradigms, which is uh, a little strange, but maybe they just wanted to cover multiple paradigms and uh, traditions to kind of like showcase some of the uh, uh, different mages of the setting, you know, kind of just give people a, a sampler. Yeah. She rewinds time at one point, which is which is really kind of, I don't know, it's kind of like, oh, okay. That's wait, 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 wait. that's the first spell or first magic that she performs. Yeah, when, when turning back time when, five minutes. When a guy who's basically yeah, because she's working in the bookstore, and then some guy who I don't know how much down with any of the stuff that's been going on with with science fiction, but a guy who walks in who's who's basically uh, Vox Day um, walks in and starts complaining about the state of you know of pink literature in sci-fi, and you know they should bring it back to to the way that to the way that um, Isaac. 
I've had it. And yeah, in the story, she's rude to him, and then he goes and complains to the manager, and then she says, "Ah, oh, I wish I could turn back time." And then she conversation again, and this time isn't quite so rude to him, and just kind of lets him have his little rant and says, "Okay, see you later." All right. Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> it's it's a little bizarre in his portrayal of the mechanics, um, and and it's similar. It kind of has a choose your own adventure element to it. Um, similar to Vampire Prelude, but you don't die as much, first off. Good. And secondly, uh, sometimes, though, it just comes up with the uh, the choose-your-own box, but there's only one thing you can click. There's only one <laughs> right. option. So I don't know if, like, they just ran out of money and time, so they were like, uh-oh, we need to, we can't have a branch here. Or... I just, I just kind of wish they'd dropped it completely. I just, the whole branching, oh, look... I mean, not the branching. Branching, you know, particularly if it spins you off in a completely different direction. If you find out there's like a whole sort of segment right. that you've missed and then you have to go, you know, if you, you have to play it again, that I'm not so bothered by. But just, oh, man, yeah, if click A and C, one of them, one of them means you don't die. <laughs> yeah, I mean, it's the issue with the uh, the Telltale games that are, for some reason, popular right now, like Walking Dead, Game of Thrones. They, they have branching paths. I'm saying that in quotation marks. But you... Your, your decisions don't matter, really. You just get back to the same point. It branches, but then it all comes back to the uh. same point. So once I figured that out after, like, two of the chapters, I was just like, well, it doesn't matter what I pick. Just click through real fast and just see the story. That's a shame. Um, so, yeah, it's... If you're going to do a branching narrative, I know it's expensive, but make it a branching narrative. Make it have different endings. And I mean, when you look at Vampire the Masquerade Bloodlines, which we just discussed, there are multiple branches. It does all come back to the same point at the end, but your decisions that you made along the way will influence how the game will end from that connecting final node. And from there, you know, if you supported the Quajin quite uh, extensively, that's an option for you. You can support them in the, uh, the final act. If you support the Prince quite a bit, maybe that's who you go with. But if you never supported the Anarchs, that's not an option for you. Yeah, and you'd argue that because we're dealing with text, that maybe it's not so expensive to do a bunch of different branches. But yeah, and you could totally go down that path. And again, I haven't kind of dug into this. Apparently, apparently, vampire branch. Apparently, the vampire one branches quite a bit. I just yeah, haven't really felt the urge <laughs> to dive too deep into that one. There's, it's not worth your time. It's not worth my time. Pretty definitely. much. Yeah. I got a finite amount of spare time and anything else. But anyway. Yeah, and then finally, so uh, the author we mentioned is Swedish, and I actually saw an interview with her on on YouTube, and she does have a good verbal command of English based on her, uh, you know, online interview. But the written English in Mage Refuge is kind of rough. Um, you know, my my recommendation for the future would definitely be that uh, they need to have someone who's a native English speaker just give it a quick once over, give it a pass, and maybe make some editing notes just to kind of smooth over some of the language because there is some very jarring transitions and sentences that really didn't yeah. flow together. I, I think Erickson, so Martin Erickson, is is down as a co-writer, I think slash editor for for both of these apps. So I think maybe going forward, that's something they might want to look at. Yeah, certainly. But overall. I think that uh, you know when you look at the the pacing of this. I didn't get very far into the to the uh, the let's plays, but uh, the pacing seems to be pretty good. There's a good you know build up of tension as it kind of draws you in, um, and I think you know given what they had to work with, the the writer did a decent job. 
And I would definitely rate this as being better than the uh, Vampire Prelude app. Yeah, me too, totally. I mean, I, I, I barely got into it, and I barely got into it, and I was actually getting into the story. It's they're, they're touching on some really interesting themes, and they're touching on you know the the refugee experience. And well, I said I'm now an in, and I wasn't laughing at it <laughs> in the same way that I was yeah. that I was Vampire. So yeah, totally. This one, this one, I would definitely put well ahead. So, Pete, is that everything we have to say on uh, these latest apps and uh, video games in the world of darkness? Pretty much, yeah. All right, cool. So uh, I think that's it for uh, talking about these video games. So why don't we jump over, do a real quick secret frequency, just to wrap this episode up. So on August 9th, 1969, The Haunted Mansion made its debut in Anaheim, California's Disneyland to rave reviews. Disney's Imagineers had managed to capture the picture-perfect representation of a classic haunted mansion from cinema and pull it into the real world, mischievous ghosts and all. The attraction was a technological marvel at the time, featuring a blend of -of state-of-the-art animatronics and old-school illusions that wowed crowds and established the Haunted Mansion as a signature Disney icon. But what you might not know is that uh, development of uh, the iconic ride began nearly two decades earlier and uh, involved some pretty famous phantoms. So Walt Disney uh, first began mulling over the concept of the Haunted Mansion in the 1950s, uh, enlisting many of his favorite artists to help with the project and bring it to reality. Uh, Initially, uh, the attraction was designed with storylines that would feature ghosts of famous historical characters like Jack the Ripper, Guy Fawkes, and Ivan the Terrible. But when Walt Disney saw the Imagineers were including Rasputin, he immediately rejected that ghost. As it turns out, though, Disney wasn't frightened by the idea of having uh, an infamous healer and wizard uh, take up residence as a ghost in the Haunted Mansion, uh, even with his fairly gruesome demise and uh, apparently dismembered penis, uh, but was far more afraid of being sued. Because at the time, uh, Gregor Rasputin uh, had only been dead uh, a little over three decades, and uh, as such, still had plenty of living relatives with uh, their family members' well-publicized death still fresh in their minds. To have Rasputin in the Haunted Mansion would be an invitation for legal trouble. And, to be fair, angering the family of an infamous Russian wizard is probably a terrible idea to begin with. (laughs) Eventually, the concept of a historical ghost museum was uh, scrapped, and uh, we got the Haunted Mansion as we have it today. But Rasputin's ghost still made it in. Apparently, artist Mark Davis had Rasputin's portrait altered, graying the hair, tweaking the nose, and renaming the piece The Ogre. Uh, before sending it off to the Haunted Mansion, where it still hangs to this day. So, this is all quite mundane in the real world, but what's really happening in the world of darkness? Uh, Rasputin shows up a lot, you know, as a vampire, a mage, a kinfolk, even a wraith. Uh, Writer Daniel Greenberg had some pretty bizarre ideas for this, like, Gehenna sort of scenario based around the character of Rasputin. Um, Way back in the early days of the world of darkness, we actually discussed that on a, a Darkling years ago. But, uh, you know, in the Chronicles of Darkness, for example, Rasputin's portrait actually does make an excellent Avernian gate, a place from which one can enter the underworld. And you can take this idea for uh, a couple ways. You know, maybe ghosts are entering uh, and Sin Eaters have to manage the, uh, the Avernian gate here. And, uh, you know, make sure just that the, the patrons and attendees are, are unaffected. Um, in addition to that, 
Uh, the portrait of Rasputin makes a kind of an interesting artifact of sorts. Um, maybe even a wraith fetter uh, for an artist who never had his vision for the Haunted Mansion fully created. Here's another idea from World of Darkness uh, Proverbial Monsters, which is, of course, an old Chronicles of Darkness product. Um, it had this kind of neat monster that could jump through mirrors. Uh, and what about a creature, for example, that can move through paintings, terrorizing innocent people along on this ride? Could be a little interesting thing to do in your Hunter the Vigil uh, Chronicles. Yeah. So, Pete, you have any uh, cool ideas for this? Well, I mean, look, I, I genuinely like the idea of using, you know, the Haunted Mansion from Disney World as, as a location. Um, I, my real knowledge of Disney World's Little Haze, I'm not sure. Because I think, I think it's kind of open. It's open. Is it open 24-7 or does, or does it shut down at night? Uh, I believe it shuts down at night. I haven't been to Disney World or Disneyland in... 20 years or something so <laughs> doing doing I don't really know what I mean. um yeah but okay I, I always kind of like the idea that you have these big open locations that kind of tour these big you know safe happy locations that when the sun goes down things turn evil or you know so so the idea that because i know that, that there's there's a lot of there's a lot of extensive underground facilities and there's a lot there's 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 hidden Disney World. I know that Disney apparently had, I think he had an apartment right in the center um, of Disney World. That I, think, I think it had like a fireman's pole um, until someone climbed up it, I think during Walt Disney's breakfast. So um, the idea of using, <laughs> apparently, um, so the idea of using the haunted, I guess maybe even some kind of cool museum location. I guess what else? What else could you do with it? Um, I mean, particularly for masquerade, you could put, um, you could put, you know, um, a Nosferatu, you know, living at, at the haunted mansion because you know, that would almost be one of those hide in plain sight sort of deals. And I guess if he's spotted, if, if someone um, unsuspecting, uh, you know, if, if an unsuspecting Disney worker opens his coffin and sees a slumbering Nosferatu there, he just, you know, during the day he just goes, vampire, that's an old vampire prop, and closes it back up again. Um, yep. Spinning that over a little bit, I, I really like the idea that, you know, uh, I like the idea that what would a dark reflection of Disney World in particular? haunted mansion look like for werewolf the apocalypse what would that look like in the umbra and so one of the ideas that i had there was because you have a lot of spirits um you know this is kind of the, the raison d'etre of of werewolves and you know could there be some kind of weird spirit um of childhood wonder um in the you know haunting the umbra around um around disney world could you could, i mean would you want to make a cayenne be there would this be a source of a source of power for the werewolves? That could potentially work. Um, and finally, if you if you want to go completely grim dark, the, the, a great jumping off point would be okay. What would the haunted mansion and what would Disneyland look like in Wraith? What would be running around there? You know, would you could you want to go sort of grim dark with it? And would you have? I suppose the raids of, of, of children who'd always wanted to go there and never made it for whatever reason, would they be, be haunting the location? We, and, and you mentioned it previously, would their fetters be be bound to Disney World? That's 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 an oh, sorry, Disneyland World Stand in Florida. Would that would that be another interesting jumping off, you know, jumping off point? So yeah, there's there's some fairly interesting stuff that you could definitely do with it. 
And yeah, I, I, I don't know, I, I kind of, you could argue it's maybe a little bit on the nose, but I, but you can then sort of do the whole thing of no one would ever suspect real monsters. I know that there's there's a goth day. I forget what they call it. I think it's Halloween. Where I know they have a particular time for it where apparently, you know, all the goths of LA just, hang on, Disney World's in LA, isn't it? No, so Disneyland is in LA. Disneyland. Disney World yeah. is Florida, sorry. Correct. Sorry, I, I plead Australian honour. Um, <laughs> <laughs> so, yeah, so and apparently there's there's a goth day when goths descend upon it. So is there is there an equivalent for, let's say, wraiths, where for whatever reason the wraiths descend on descend on Disney on um, on Disneyland? Oh, oh, it could be just any day of the week. Oh, yeah, right. I mean, because this would be a great source of uh, of pathos for many wraiths, especially the ones that uh, enjoy more amusement, happiness, passions like that. Uh, this this entire location could be uh, a great uh, source of, of un- undead energy for them. Uh, and there's actually a couple other things to talk about there. You brought up some great points about Vampire, uh, which I didn't even think about. I actually have a friend who's uh, an Imagineer down at Disney World. Oh, wow. And he was telling me about all the tunnels that uh, connect everything. The great network of these subterranean tunnels there, uh, which is phenomenal for vampires during the day. Uh, and then, of course... There's a constant rotation of fresh blood, essentially, here uh, at the amusement park, which would be a phenomenal hunting ground for them uh, in either of the uh, of the vampire games. Elysium locations, great idea. One cool thing, which I, I always really loved in the uh, um, first Greg Stolze vampire, the Requiem novel, which is a hunger like fire they actually switch around their Elysium location. You know, they keep hopping to different places, which I never thought of before reading that novel, but oh, yeah. it makes perfect sense, you know? You don't want to always be these, you know, same people all showing up to the same ballroom every single Tuesday. Um, you know, switching that's it up. When, you know, that's they when have scene, which is up, yeah. Aquarium. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Uh, it's very cool, and this provides many really interesting locations for uh, the Kindred to assemble at. So... Yeah, definitely awesome stuff. There was a there was a concept that I used a little while back for a, for a Requiem game where I had I had an idea that you had vampires that had completely they'd completely infiltrated a massive hotel slash casino and kind of used it as almost a bed and breakfast. They had master keys to all the rooms. They could sneak <laughs> in, drain a few blood points, and then sneak out again. Um, what happens if you apply that concept to Disneyland? To, um, to Disney, yeah, to Disneyland. What happens if you say no? It's completely infiltrated by vampires. They have control of everything. So you know, and because uh, I remember reading, I think I think it was Mike Krahulik of Penny Arcade was talking about how he lost his kid for an hour at Disney World, at Disneyland, and they've never lost a kid once. You know, they've, you are constantly being surveilled. Um, so what would happen if, because apparently, like, I remember reading, I think it was this was in uh, second edition Vampire, where they talked about how the blood of children was, was absolutely like, like, like crack to, to vampires. You know, would this be potentially snatch a child, drain one blood point just enough, you know, not enough to put any kind of permanent damage, and then have them back in their parents, you know, back, back, back with their parents before, you know, within sort of 20 minutes. And could you make, um, could you have some kind of vampire, you know, and if you did that multiple times a day, because when you think about the hundreds of thousands of children that go through that place on a, on a weekly basis, you could have, you know, almost this entrepreneurial vampire, you know, selling off pints of, of wonderful children's blood 
So these are these are the sorts of, these are the sorts of things that I think about. You know, well, what happens when vampires meet you know <laughs> meet capitalism? <laughs> oh my gosh, good stuff, good stuff. All right, so I think that's all we got for the secret frequency, and well, I think that's pretty much uh, the end of the episode. Uh, Pete, are you going to be on the Midnight Express podcast anytime soon? Doing any cool episodes? Yeah, we have um, sort of again uh, one of my other post wedding slash you know, two thousand seventeen uh, plans was to to host more. Uh, we we were halfway through recording uh, a, a, a review of Wad Mafia when the internet crapped out on us so so we have oh, to re-record nice. that one remember uh bummer well yeah it's it's uh, it, it happens that's one that's one i'm hoping to get that one down within the next few weeks um but yeah unfortunately uh the fact that um adrian lives in a really rural location in outback queensland <laughs> came up and slapped in the head but yeah that's so that, that should be happening soon how about you mike you guys of course i think you guys i think you have plans to maybe record one more before you went off to wad berlin uh we're gonna get like one or two in before that happens yeah. uh yeah, in the next episode, which already I made a post about, and then real life got in the way, so we're just kind of doing this sort of. It was originally going to be a filler video game episode, and then these apps showed <laughs> up, uh, kind of like justifying this even further. Uh, yeah, so next episode we were thinking about uh, doing. It's going to be a three segment episode, kind of a big deal. Uh, talking about Wraith, uh, Love Beyond Death, uh, which interestingly is one of uh, Martin Erickson's favorite. Uh, world of darkness books uh we're going to talk about the demon storytellers handbook for uh demon the nice. descent and then we're also going to cover the beast conquering Fair heroes we're, we're going to review it and okay. well matt already kind of gave you a sampler last episode yeah so that's what's going to be coming up and uh of course we are darker days radio uh if you want to drop us an email you can uh shoot that on over to darker days radio at gmail.com we have our twitter account which is at darker days radio and then uh, you can check us out on facebook facebook.com slash darker days radio and finally google plus uh we will include a link in the show notes because they still don't have like good short urls for for g plus uh but we do have a nice little community there where people are always talking and it's a good time pretty much yeah and i think that's it pete thank you very much for joining me on this episode uh you know some some tough topics to tackle but uh, i think we did a good job and uh absolutely good night good night everybody hopefully uh this is all well received so i think that's it This has been an episode of Darker Days Radio. Special thanks to Occam's Laser for the intro, outro, and new bumper music from their hit album, Nine Circles. Check out the rest of their work at occamslaser.bandcamp.com. <laughs>